What's going on, guys? Welcome back. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. And if you guys don't know who Mystery Ranch is, I can't talk, apparently. If you guys don't know who Mystery Ranch is, well, they are most well-known for their awesome fire packs arguably the best built ones out there and the most comfortable ones out there. But did you guys also know that they make a ton of other load bearing essentials built for the mission, built for you, and you guys can get them. So if you guys are into hunting, they got a solution, fishing solution, skiing solution. Hell, if you guys want to go bum it and backpack across Europe, well, they got a solution for you. Hell, they even make briefcases if you guys want to stuff your laptop in there. But if you guys need a backpack, particularly for, I don't know, besides your fire gear, like say, for instance, you need something to stuff your uh, civilian clothes in or just like a little go bag to stuff underneath the engine or in the uh, under the seat of the buggy. Well, they got a solution for you. So go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check them out. Also, they're coming out with the uh, Backbone series. And basically, it's going to be cataloging a bunch of stories from temporary seasonal positions. And the whole premises of it is going to be, well, the fire service is pretty much built on the backs of temporary seasonal employees. So we're going to highlight some of you guys. I'm stoked to be working with these guys on this and uh, can't wait till it comes out. Also, Another thing, they're going to get back to the community as well. They have a couple lines of uh, packs coming out where a portion of the proceeds are going to go into a fund to help fund the 1039 scholarship program. So if you guys are a firefighter out there in the field, and you want to go back to school. Well, you might get a grant out of it. You might get so you guys can have an opportunity to get something paid for through mystery ranch and their 1039 scholarship program. So details with of that will be coming out here pretty soon. But in the meantime, swing over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out all of their load bearing essentials. The anchor point podcast is also brought to you by our premier coffee sponsor. Who is that? You might ask. Well, it's Starbucks. Ah, just kidding. No, it is actually going to be hotshot brewery. Who are they? Well, you better go find out. They make kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause, and they make a full line of apparel and all of the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right. They have aero presses, they have grinders, they have everything. They even got the little Chemex device things. There's like the fancy glass pour-over system. Actually, it makes pretty good coffee, I'm not going to lie. But if you go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check them out, you can check out this entire line of awesome products. And why is it kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause? Well, portion of the proceeds will always go back to the wildland firefighter foundation. Definitely appreciate these guys. And they support the anchor point podcast by slinging our merch. So if you guys are looking for one of those fire fiend t-shirts or one of the band of brothers t-shirts or some stickers, or maybe even have a baby on the way and you guys want to get a onesie. Well, they definitely have them. So once again, head over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check them out. And last but not least, the Anchor Point Podcast is brought to you by the Smoky Generation, also known as the American Wildfire Experience. What is that, you might ask? Well, it is a digital collection of stories about wildland firefighting dating all the way back to the 1940s. There's over 100 of these things, and they are cool. You get to basically take a little trip through time, a little journey through time, get a history lesson of how it was back in the day. And I think it's awesome. So if you guys are looking for a little history lesson, head over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check them out. Bethany has an awesome organization over there, and she's also teamed up with Mystery Ranch and Water Axe Pumps to help facilitate some $500 grants for you folks in the field that are telling the story of wildland fire. But I know I've been getting a ton of questions about this, like, when is it going to be open again? Well, 
that is answered today. It is open. It is open for you guys. So if you guys are interested in one of 12 $500 grants from the Smoky Generation and the American Wildfire Experience partnered with Mystery Ranch and Water Axe Pumps, now is your opportunity. So if you guys happen to be a writer, a blogger, a photographer, anybody who tells a story of wildland firefighting here, definitely take your chance and apply. Applications once again are closing on May 15th, 2020. So take advantage of this now. Good luck, guys. Bethany, thanks for running an awesome organization over there. Look forward to seeing more. The views and opinions of this podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody's getting over the coronavirus blues. Activity's picking up. I uh, do know we got some IA activity down in Region 3. Their season is starting off, and uh, same with Alaska. And uh, yeah, you guys probably have your own uh, IA activity in your own backyards, but I hope everybody is ready. I hope everybody's ready for fire season. Anyways, today on the show, I've got a pretty unique guest. He is actually going to be the first person from the National Park Service on the show, uh, giving out a little bit of represent- representation to our parkies out there. But also, he is unique in the fact that he is a battalion chief for the prescribed fire and fuels management program down there in Yosemite National Park. So he's pretty high up on the chain. We talk about a lot of cool concepts. Well, even we talk about uh, an interesting one I thought was uh, the fake it till you make it term. In reality, we kind of broke that down, had a lot of our own little thought experiment about what that actually means. And what it actually means is making it work until you succeed, which is pretty cool. Uh, we talk about retention. We talk about some of the hard lessons learned in wildland fire. Uh, we talk about the park a lot, of course, and we talk about some of the other harsh realities of wildland firefighting, uh, especially, uh, the fact that it is a dangerous job and that you guys may encounter or know somebody who may encounter a line of duty death. Unfortunately, uh, Russell here, he was involved. He was uh, the the division on the Ferguson fire during the Brian Hughes uh, accident. And uh, yeah, it it messed him up pretty good. But we talk about how he overcame that and uh, how he dealt with the situation and how he overcame adversity. So there's a lot of lessons to be learned in this episode and I hope you guys enjoy it. But without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce Russell Mitchell from Yosemite National Parks. Welcome to the Anchor Point. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point podcast. Today on the show, I've got Russell Mitchell with two L's as he's corrected me. (laughs) He is with uh, Yosemite National Park and uh, you are up there living the dream. What's going on, dude? Oh, not, not a whole lot, man. Thanks for, thanks for having me. This is awesome. I'm, yeah. uh, I'm pumped. Hell yeah, dude. Pleasure to have you. So it's really cool to see representation from all agencies. And I believe you're the first national park guy on the show. So welcome. Hell yeah. Man. That's awesome. Hell yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself, man. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like you said, I, I work down here in, in Yosemite national park for Yosemite, uh, fire and aviation. Um, I was actually not born in Yosemite, but moved here when I was two. So I've, you know, I've pretty much been in Yosemite my whole life, minus a couple of years for college and whatnot. But, um, yeah, I work, worked for Yosemite fire, got my start here. Um, I'm currently a battalion chief for prescribed fire and fuels. So I've been in this position officially now for about a year and a half. Um, and before that I was, uh, the captain on the wildland fire module for about eight years. And then the, the assistant on the same module for the two years before that. So, uh, this is my going on 20 years in fire now. So damn. Yeah. Nice, yeah, man. It's been a, that's cool though. I mean, I think it's definitely uh, really cool that we're getting more and more uh, guests that are higher up in the chain of command too. And like, this is a, this is awesome. To have a BC on the show. So it's going to be an interesting perspective, uh, especially for our audience. So y'all, uh, y'all out there listening, listen up. Man. <laughs> we're yeah, going to hear the yeah. BC's perspective. Well, cool, man. Um, so how many years of fire have you been in? You said 20 years. Yeah, this is uh, going into my 20th fire season and it's shaping up to be probably the craziest not because of actual fires or fire behavior just with all the weird random craziness that is the pandemic that we're in so we're trying to trying to work our way through that and it's it's been frustrating to say the least so yeah dude i know there's like a lot of uh well there's there's like two poles of this whole argument. It's either a open up the economy or B lock yourself in your home and you know, close the doors, shut up the windows. So it's, it's kind of weird where we sit as far as wildland firefighters go. It's like, what the hell do we do, man? We have to be out there. We have to be in these like shitty conditions with camp crud and a bunch of people, man, you throw people in poor hygienic conditions in a fire camp. Someone's bound to get sick. And now if COVID oh, yeah. races through that, man, it's, it's going to be interesting. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, I mean, I think you nailed it right there, man. It's just like the camp crud exists every year, no matter what. And then to add this to it and especially getting into like later in the season when it gets really bad and it's cold and wet in the morning and you're just like, everyone's coughing all over the place and touching handrails and mm -hmm. shit like that. But, um, yeah, you add this in. So it's like, it's kind of like the, the wildland fire module thing, you know, not to, to plug that too much, but like that's coming into play here with like the self-sufficiency and being away from everybody and being able to, to do your own thing and have very limited contact. Like, I think that's going to get super popular here. And there have been like various IHCs from around region five and even region six that have reached out and been like, Hey, like, What's your guys' gear list? Like, how do you guys configure? What are you guys doing when you're out there? So people are thinking about it. And I think that, you know, like inherently that's what we are. We're problem solvers and we're not going to wait around for someone to be like, Hey, this is a direction from the national office that are from people that are, you know, five layers removed from what we do out in the field. And they're trying to problem solve it and, and fix it and do what's right for their people. And I'm, I'm super pumped to help out and, and they pass on it along any information that we have to help them out. So yeah, it's been, uh, it's been interesting for sure. And I, I, I think I'm, I'm sympathetic to both sides. Like, Hey, let's reopen the economy and get shit rolling again. And like, at the same time, like, Hey, maybe let's back off and see what happens here. So kind of trickle it like slowly, yeah, yeah, but surely like phase approach, I think is the, the new favorite term. Like, 
Yeah, man. Well, that's like that, I guess that's what my fear is, is that we're going to have to do this crap all over again. And that's the last thing I want to do is work from home for another month. Dude, it's yeah. not it's not OK. I don't like it. No, it's 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 interesting. So like for my wife and I, she works at our dispatch center. She's our lead fire dispatcher. And um, so it's been better for us that it's been the start of the season. But like we have two kids that are home from school now. So it's like we're doing that, like teleworking and teaching school. And I'm the last dude that should be teaching like fifth grade and second grade. <laughs> you know, they're like, Hey, I have this multiplication problem. I'm like, yeah, I'll just do multiplication. Like I know how and they're like, no, you got to do it like this. I'm like, what the hell? So different game now. Oh yeah. It's completely different. And then to add in like zoom meetings and, and conference calls and all this other shit. It's just like, yeah, I feel you, man. Like working from home is not my, not my gig at all. Uh, it puts a lot of stress on everybody, man. That's the whole thing is like, we got kids, we got lives, we have to work, we have to balance all this shit at home. It's like, yeah, dude, it's almost impossible. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. And then at the same time, it's like now the time of season where it's like, it's beautiful outside and people want to be outside doing things and, and moving around. And, and, uh, it's hard to say like, Nope, like we can't go, we can't go into town or we can't do this. We can't do that. We can't go see grandparents. So, yeah, it's 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 tough, but at the same time, it's probably for the best. So so speaking of COVID, man, um, now there's not a lot of information out there. I've been scrubbing through Nipsey's website through, I don't know, wildfire today and all these other, you know, third party information sites and trying to scrape up some something about what we're going to do about this COVID. I mean, is there any national direction on what the hell we're going to do? Um, not a whole lot. You know, there's just um a lot the same, like follow CDC guidelines and, and, and state and local guidelines. And, um, but yeah, it's still, you know, kind of, kind of standby to standby mode. Like, I don't think there's been any like official memo put out there that like, Hey, this is what we will do at fire camps or this is what we will do in travel status or, or whatnot. It's just like, and the good thing is, as these modules have been coming on, uh, hotshot crews, um, engine modules, you name it, like the lessons learned have been coming out. Like, hey, we got dispatched to a fire, um, and and this is what it looked like for us. And it was, um, you know, kind of like an AAR that they put out there, and it was like, hey, this is what this is what we planned. This is what we talked about. This is the SOPs we had in place, and then what actually happened. And a lot of it is like best laid plans, you know, like, Hey, we're going to get in the buggy and everyone's going to wear a mask and it's going to be fine. And we're not going to have any fuel breaks or, or, you know, stop at the store or anything like that. And, um, in reality, when they got there, you know, it was like a lot of folks were just like, man, I feel crappy because I wore a mask and then I didn't want to touch my face. And then I didn't drink any water because I didn't want to mess with my mask. And so people were like lethargic and dehydrated. So, um, yeah, I think just over the course of time, I think the best actions is going to be like some of these crews are just going to have to be the guinea pigs as they, you know, like region three and some of those other regions, region eight that are getting these fires already that we're going to have to like lessons learned from them and, um, and just kind of adapt. It's just, I think it's just going to be, you know, how it is, man, it's like keep your situational awareness and, and, and see what works best for your module. And I'm hoping, you know, like in terms of Yosemite, 
when we get our folks here, um, they're coming on next week, um, the 10th that we'll get them here. You know, there's still no direction to be like, are they going to quarantine in place and they're in their housing or what the deal is. And, um, but I think once the folks get here and, you know, a couple of days goes by and, you know, everyone's not showing any signs or symptoms or whatever, like once people get in their work groups, I think that's when it'll be, um, easier, I think for folks to like relax a little bit and then you're around the guys again and, and things are starting to flow. So, but yeah, in terms of, I haven't seen a whole lot of like hard and fast, like this is what we're going to do just cause I don't think people really know yet. I think it, that's a good point though. I think that everything's pretty much new and we don't know shit about this thing. I mean, it's right. what, since January it started rearing its ugly head. Yep. I mean, no one knows. We don't know anything. And we kind of have to fly by the seat of our pants to figure this stuff out. So, and I can understand like the stress that it would cause for someone in your position being a battalion chief. That's got to be hard, man, because you have to make those decisions. And sometimes they're not going to be the decisions that are going to be well liked. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, you know, and that, that's a, that's a really good point. Cause it is going to be the decisions like, Hey, like fire season's coming, no matter we, if we like it or not. And, if we get our folks here and, and we have to make the decision like, Hey, that first week or that first pay period, you guys are, you guys are shut down in quarantine. So that's a week lost. And, you know, then the captains are just like, Hey, now we got to readjust our training schedules. And, and, and now we're pushed back two weeks and now readiness reviews are pushed back. And it's just like, I feel, I, I get it, man. Like I'm new to the battalion. So I still like, I still have that, you know, that kind of that captain's mentality. And I'm, and I'm like, yeah, like, I want to get the crew out and get them working and get them and get them ready to go. But at the same time, it's like, it's, it's a bigger, it's a bigger picture now that I have to be looking at. And it's like, you got to look out for the well being of, of the program more so than just like, Hey, I want to be selfish and get my crew out there and make them available. It's like, that's, that's not the name of the game anymore. It's, we got to make the program healthy and, and then the trickle down effect to, to family and, and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, I would say it's, uh, it causes some, some sleepless nights for sure. Yeah. Yeah, man. I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy though. I've never seen something like this just blatantly fuck with people psychology or psychologically wise, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting because there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of shaming going on and there's a lot of unknowns and I, I, it messes with people. So, I mean, it's just one of those things that we got to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's just one of those jobs, you know, it's like, we can't just stay at home. Like fires are going to happen. So I think, you know, we could, we could have every SOP in place, but you know, as soon as that fire bell rings or whatever you want to call it, like we're going to do what we know how to do and, and figure it out on the back end. So yeah. And that's, we'll get through it yeah sure. and that's the thing, man, we'll get through it, but I mean, that's not, <laughs> it's it's our job to swing Pulaski's, you know, and put fires out. It's not our job right. to be virologist or epidemiologist, you know? No, no, not at all. So, so all we can do is listen, man. Listen to the best <laughs> advice possible. Yep. Yep. For sure. But anyways, enough about COVID, man. So yeah. Yosemite National Park, what's it all about, man? That seems like a very sought after badass place. Tell us about, it about it, man. It is. So, you know, just like, from Yosemite as a whole, I don't, I mean, I don't know if you, if you've been here or folks out there listening have been to Yosemite, but, um, it's a pretty awesome place, you know, just to put it in perspective, it's, it's about the size of Rhode Island, the state of Rhode Island. So it's, it's a pretty big park. Um, I think a lot of people just, 
you know, what they think of when they think of Yosemite is like the valley and all the big, huge, monolithic uh, granite features that we have. Um, but Yosemite, Yosemite is a rad place and it's a super rad place to work because, um, you know, we are able to, to get away with a little bit more in terms of like, we are able to manage a lot of fire on the landscape for resource benefit because we have those, we have those, um, you know, those different features in place where it's not just like, it's not just all like mixed conifer where it's just going to rip for days on end. You know, it's like our higher elevation, it's red fir and lodgepole and there's a lot of decomposed granite features. And so, um, we can get, we can get away with, um, with managing some fire and, um, being very hands-off. Um, so that, that's always been good. And we've, you know, up until, you know, like last year was just a down fire season. We just didn't have the starts, but, um, you know, unless you're in Alaska. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Right. And we, we missed the boat on that one, but, um, but yeah, so, you know, most of our stuff is all from, uh, lightning starts, natural ignitions. Um, so, you know, in years past, we, it doesn't, it's not too far fetched to have like four or five managed fires going at one time. And, um, we'll throw two or three or four people out on each one. And it's just kind of like, Hey, we don't really want you to take a lot of action. We're good with where it's at. Just like do fire behavior monitoring, um, weather monitoring and just report back. And so uh, I think that goes a long ways for, for, um, firefighters from year one all the way up just to like sit back and look at fire and be like, Holy moly. Like we're not just like digging in the ground. We can sit back and get like the bigger picture. So, um, yeah, yeah it, it's cool that, uh, you guys use a lot of fire and, um, I've not, I haven't been personally on a lot of wildland fire, uh, use fires, I guess you can call them. It, there's a new terminology for it and it's fire use or multiple management yeah. objectives now. I it's, believe is what it's called. Uh, yeah, it's, that's always a sticking point. It's, uh, it's all wildland fire now and it's wildland fire for, um, for resource benefit. That's what it is. That's the new yeah. common vernacular, I guess you're supposed yeah. to use. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but like the general mass is like fire use is what's going to get everybody's like, Oh yeah, I know what that means. Yeah. It's wow. kind of funny how that kind of sticks, but right. yeah, man, fire use, I, I think it's pretty cool. I haven't worked on a module or anything like that. And I haven't been on too many, uh, fire use fires. Uh, but I think there's a huge benefit to watching a fire. You're going to get a lot of experience just seeing how fire behaves. And that's, that's awesome, man. It's invaluable. It is. It really is. And even if like, even if you're not, you know, directly engaged on it, you're going to, you're going to learn a lot. And then like the flip side and what we've done a lot with Yosemite and, and, and also in Yosemite this year is our 50 year anniversary of prescribed fire in the park. Um, and so prescribed fire broadcast burning is, is huge across the country really. But, you know, in particular in Yosemite, um, we have a, a very deep and rich history of prescribed fire us and Sequoia Kings Canyon. Um, so even that, you know, as you know, like dragon torch and, and seeing firsthand, you know, like what you can and can't do to manipulate fire and, and kind of control it or, or, you know, put fire on the ground on your terms. Um, I think that's invaluable for, for folks that, um, are new to fire or maybe haven't done a prescribed burn in a while or something like that. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much kind of the best way I can, I can see of, uh, 
managing fires through prescribed fire, just, you know, letting it do what it's going to do naturally. So, yeah, no, totally. Um, but what about like human starts? I mean, I know it's very regulated in the park as to where you can and cannot go. Do you guys get a lot of human starts or I, I wouldn't imagine that you guys do. Well, so, um, we have, I think there's probably six or seven, like, um, to put it, you know, in better terms, like wooey areas within the park. We do have, uh, two, three, call it private in holdings where there's private homeowners that live on park ground, um, within the park. Um, but we do have our fair share of, of human caused starts just cause, um, Yosemite in the summertime is just absolutely nuts with packed full of tourists oh, dude, packed. It's like trying to drive through downtown LA when you get into the Valley. Um, and all those people get out and start doing things. And, you know, the big thing right now is like, leave no trace. So people get out and go to the bathroom and then burn their toilet paper. We've had a lot of those fires lately. Dude. Have, uh, speaking of that, man, have you heard of, uh, the ass movement? <laughs> I, uh, I I got turned on to that through the hotshot brewery guys. And I've been like, I've been looking at that and it's like, that's hilarious. Like, it's so funny though. Like it makes so much sense. Like, it does see it all the time. Well, it's cool, man. I think it's, it's a hilarious way to address like a real concern uh, about, you know, people going out in the woods and just not burying their business, man. I, th- I think it's oh, awesome. It's horrible. Like, it's horrible. And I'm sure it's like in all the forest, but especially like I can speak to Yosemite, like you'll be out walking a trail or whatever, like looking at a burn unit and there'll be a decent sized tree and sure shit, no pun intended. Like <laughs> you'll go around the backside and there'll just be a ton of toilet paper and stuff. And just a like, gift wrapped turd for you to step in. Exactly. So it's like, so we do get our fair share of, of a uh, human cause. And, um, those are always a hundred percent suppression. Like there's no discussion about that. Those are, we're going to put those ones out. So gotcha. they do happen. They're not, they're not nearly as, uh, nearly as prevalent as like on the forest and stuff. Cause you're right. It is pretty restricted. Like we don't have a bunch of forest service roads and, you know, dirt roads running through the park. We have like three major roads and then a couple of little offshoots here and there. But, um, anywhere you're going, you're, you're, you're not, yeah, you're walking. You're not going to be able to really drive a vehicle. So. Gotcha. No, it's a pretty cool area, man. It's beautiful down there too. If you guys have never been to Yosemite, holy shit, is it gorgeous? Yeah. Yeah. Come on down. And like, you know, just kind of our, you know, our, our, our program here and an overview is, I don't know if I mentioned it at the start there, but we're the biggest uh, fire program in the national park service, uh, here in Yosemite. Um, we have three type three engines that are park service engines. Uh, one of those engines is interagency with the Sierra national forest. So they provide us two seasonals, two temps. And then we have a type three engine on the North side of the park. That's a Stanislaus. It's a green engine. And we provide one permanent and one temp seasonal for them. So, um, so those are our engines. And then we have, uh, we have a type two helicopter, uh, hell attack program. So they're split, um, between, you know, fire response and search and rescue. And you can imagine, um, search and rescue in Yosemite is pretty busy. So they, they stay super busy. Yeah. You guys do have like even a short haul program. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here. You guys have short haul search and rescue, uh, kind of attached to your helicopter module, right? 
Yeah, they they they're all hazards. So they do uh, they do short haul, repel, um, high angle technical rescues off the side of like El Capitan and Half Dome and and other you know wherever in the park, and then as well as they're available um, for fires, you know, down into the front country working for Cal Fire or one of the forests or something like that. So uh, they're kind of a jack of all trades, and they do an awesome they do an awesome awesome job. And then we have the wildland fire module, which is a uh, pretty near and dear to my heart. And that's anywhere from seven to 10 folks, just depending on the year. Um, this year, we're going to have eight, eight folks on the module. So, um, you know, and then just recently the modules went to like the, to like the 20 person crews, you know, type one, type two modules. So we're a, a, a type two module just cause that's how it works out within the region for uh, funding purposes. But um, we try our damnedest to, to, hold the type one standard with quals and, and personnel. So nice, man. Are you guys going to thinking about moving up to that 20 men uh, module kind of organization structure or are you guys just, is that just way far in the future? No. So, you know, we've, we've kind of gone the opposite way. We started out like when I started out in the early two thousands, we were a 20 person type two IA crew. Um, you know, when I first started, I think there was like, 12 or 13 because the, the, the crew was still pretty young i think it was like two or three years old when i started working on there um and then we built up we built up to to a 20 person type 2ia crew and um you know there was some murmurings you know, I was still a seasonal so i didn't really pay attention too much but there was some murmuring about about the crew um being like the third park service hotshot crew out there um but that never, that never happened. And then, you know, like mid 2000s, 2009, when we first started seeing it, 2010, like when the funding started to dry up a little bit, um, we had to take, we had to make some hard calls and, and we backed off from 20 to 15 and, and 15 is just kind of a weird number for a crew. It's like, what are you gonna do? yeah, you're like, what are you going to do? Like, it's kind of too many people to be a module and it's like, you don't meet the standards for, for a crew. So I was like, ah, shit. So, um, the next year we, you know, we decided like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to bump back down. And, and we had a fire use crew, um, in the park as well. And same, same story. Like when the funding went away, we actually just, um, combined the two crews. And, um, since then we've just been one, running with one crew and, and it's a wildland fire module. So, um, we were building up there for a while. Like it was pretty promising. And then, but, um, yeah, I like yeah. the direction we're going now and uh, I don't really have any desire to go back to a 20 person configuration. Well, it's kind of so. cool though, because those smaller modules, man, they're a little bit more uh, nimble, I guess you can do, a, you can, especially with what your guys's mission is over there. It seems like you could do a lot more with less. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hundred percent. And, um, and you know, it, if when we get busy, like we do here in the park, like we'll order in other modules or, you know, if like there's just not a lot of module work going on and it's all like a big suppression year, it's like, it's not to say that we won't marry up with another 10 person module. like from Sequoia Kings or, you know, our friends across the, across the mountain there on the Inyo, we've gone out with that module a couple of times and uh, you form up and create a 20 person crew with 10, you know, two modules and, and that works out great too. So it's just a, it's kind of the best of both worlds. You got the flexibility to kind of do, um, to do a lot of things. So it's pretty rad. Nice, man. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Like the fire wildfire use modules or the wildland fire modules, I guess is what they're supposed to be called. 
Right. Yeah. John, correct me on that one. John. Oh, I bet he did. I bet he did. <laughs> yeah. They're, no, they're cool, man. They've always fascinated me and I'd love to. I mean, that's one thing I kind of wish I did <clears throat> with my career so far. I mean, it looks like fun, man. You get to go out and just basically do hood rat stuff all summer long. And it's yeah. also like one of those critically important things. I'm a huge proponent of introducing more fire to the landscape. Yep. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, as, as much as we can get the word out there, get the word out there of, uh, you know, good fire versus bad fire, whatever you want to call it. You know, it's like, it's not always doom and gloom. Like what you see on the news with those big SoCal rippers, like that's not, that's not, as you know, it's, that's a very small percentage, I think of what, what the fire wildland fire world's all about. But yeah, man, you get to go out and live off the grid and you know, like you're not eating fire camp food. Like we, we eat like Kings when we're out there, you know, it's like the crew likes to be out at spike more than they like to be in, you know, in their apartments or in their, you know, in their cabins. Cause like, you know, it's, it's, uh, lots of fruits and veggies. And I feel bad sometimes, you know, like we'll be spiked out and the crew and other crew will come in and they'll be eating MREs and we got fresh fruit and, and meat every night. But, um, yeah, dude, it's good. Like you can go out and it's pretty much just like, I don't want to say it's fair game, but it's like, you know, use common sense, but you can go out and you can do a lot of things with a little amount of people. If you're, if you're smart about it and, and you're, and you're, um, and you're really thinking about like, Hey, do we really need to put in line there? Probably not. Like what's it going to matter if we back off and add another 10 or 15 acres and incorporate that rock feature or whatever. So it's like, it's nice to get people out of the mindset of the stigma. It's like go direct every time. It's like, there's a time and a place for sure. But there's also a time and a place like, like, Hey, back off and just like put in a little bit of line, two or three dudes, and then just like rip it off and, and be done with it. So it's pretty rad, pretty rewarding. Yeah. And that's a good thing too. It's like that whole good fire versus bad fire thing. And I, I, that's one thing that I know the national park service does pretty well is passing that message onto the public of what good fire versus bad fire is. Right. You guys doing a lot of prescribed fire down there with a massive budget for uh, prescribed fire and wildland fire use. It's awesome, man. And you guys, you guys, pass that message along to the public and kind of inform them. And I really wish that the agencies, all of them as a whole right. would do a better job of that because there is such thing as good fire, man. Yeah, there really is. You know, and I, I think, um, you know, we have a really good fire information program here in Yosemite and the, and the same with Sequoia Kings and, uh, you know, other parks throughout the, throughout our region and the same with all the other agencies, but it's just, um, yeah, I think it's just been more ingrained in the Park Service um, mission that you know, um, fire needs to be a part of the part of the landscape. Like our landscapes depend on fire, and and you know we've and we've had we've been fortunate enough, at least here at Yosemite, to have the park leadership on board with that and saying like, "Yep, we understand that fire that fire needs to be a part of the part of the ecosystem," and and. Um, and we'll deal with the smoke because that's always the biggest thing, man. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's like you can, you know, there's, you can try and manage as much fire as you possibly can, but, um, you know how it goes. Like the smoke is always going to be the number one hindrance. Like 
people like to think that it's a good idea, but then as soon as you start putting smoke in the air, man, the people are just like, what's going on? Why is there so much smoke? Like, I can't go outside or... Oh, people you know, get pissed, man. Oh, yeah, dude, especially here in Yosemite. And, and it's like, you come for that idea. And it's it's not just people coming up from like the Central Valley or LA or San Francisco or shit like that. It's like people coming from all corners of the world to see that, you know, the tunnel view where you see Yosemite Valley laid out in front of you. And then if we're doing a prescribed fire in the valley and it's all smoked out, it's like you're going to hear it for sure. And um, so that's always like our biggest that's always our biggest obstacle is this smoke management and like especially with our management fires, you know, for like, if we're putting smoke in the air for, and it's not just weeks, you know, it's like two or three or four months. Mm-hmm. Like, people are going to get sick of it after a while. But um, if you have the right people in place to be like, Hey, like this is what it looks like. This is the end result. And this is what we're going to hopefully prevent from happening. Like the Ferguson fire that we had and other fires here close to Yosemite or across the state or across the country. Like, you know, it's like, maybe a little bit of a distraction or a little bit of smoke in the air. Now we're going to prevent a shit ton of smoke in the air down the road and destruction and loss of property and human life and all that stuff. So, Oh yeah, man, the values at risk though. That's the thing that I, I try and stress upon the whole idea of prescribed fire is like, well, what do you guys want? You guys want to take care of all this hazardous fuels on the ground right now when have it a short term, three week month to two, maybe two months at the most, if it's a, you know, a wildland fire use fire or do you want a ripping campaign fire that's going to just completely fuck up the ecology of the entire forest yeah yeah that's there's no two ways about it really no it's 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 pretty black and white i think you know it's and it's exactly what you just said and it's and it's not always tied to like it's not always tied to um to houses or 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 um, businesses or something like that. It's exactly what you said. It's like, we could have a pretty catastrophic wildfire that, you know, we have giant sequoia groves within Yosemite that, um, you know, they, they're, they're pretty vulnerable right now with the drought and everything else. And there's a lot of, a lot of tree mortality, not in the sequoias, but in the, in the species around those sequoias. So like um, adverse fire effects in those, in those groves would be, would be pretty catastrophic and they're seeing it other places like the Sierra national forest is seeing it. The beetle kill issue up there. Oh, the beetle kill issue is just off the charts, man. It's just in central California. It's like, I think we're kind of like tone deaf to it now just because we see it day in and day out. But then you have other people come in and they're just like, Holy shit. What's up with all the dead trees or, Oh my God. And you're just like, Oh yeah. Like, Oh yeah. Just you see it now, but it's, you know, it's in the hundreds of millions of trees and it's just, it's outrageous. And that's just, that's a whole new ball game now. So. And that's the thing, man, is like, I'm not too, uh, I, I'm not too privy on how that, uh, the bark beetles, I don't know really how they work or what, what's their, I know what their ecosystem is, of course, you know, but this is like a very big problem, especially in California, Montana, parts of Idaho, and it's just spreading. And it just seems like this plague across our landscape, but I don't know how to fix that problem. I mean, does fire actually help with that? Um, I think it, you know, to a degree now it probably could, or, you know, it would. Um, but I think we missed the window on that, you know, like, um, just overcrowding in the forest, you know, just with the fuel buildup. 
and um you know those larger those larger trees not having the room to grow and 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 be a little bit more resilient to to drought because that's what it is you know it's like what i've been told and i'm like you i don't know a whole lot about it um but you know like pre-drought you know like a healthy tree um could kill off it could you know fight off um that bug mortality but it's like pitch tubes and push them out and you know take thousands of bugs to kill one tree and um you know so it was a lot of time and effort on the bugs part i guess that's how you want to say it but now with the drought you know they're saying like up to like it could take just like a dozen bugs to kill a tree and you're talking hundreds of thousands of bugs and the or the beetles i guess so it's like they're just they're just having a heyday and they're just killing off large sloths and matter of days or weeks and um you get it's 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 kind of crazy to watch it's kind of um you just like watch it happen in stages and you're just like holy hell like last week they're down there and now the tree and it's and it was like for a while there it was just like in one elevation belt and then we slowly started to see it like all the way up to like eight or nine thousand feet in elevation some of our larger sugar pines were dying we're just like holy shit like this, this is, is a problem reality. yeah this yeah. is reality now and it's like well, you, like a lot of other things now, man, we're behind the power curve. So yeah, well, you've been there to, for 20 years. I mean, it's already kind of, you kind of seen it happen and you've seen that thing, the whole mortality just spread, you know? And yeah. that's the thing. It was like, it, we could have handled this a long time ago, but then again, you know, it's kind of those too little, too late things. And now we're way too little, way too late. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, it's such large scale and, um, you know, like the bottom line is it's just like, it's, it comes down to money and, it's like you got to spend the money to get the work done. And, you know, it's like the mills aren't taking the wood and a lot of woods just like it's coal wood now. So, that, you know, it's a business and they're not making money off of it. So it's, it's, um, it's kind of damned if you do damned if you don't. Well, you bring up an interesting point there is, uh, you know, the U S the forest service used to be funded entirely by timber sales at one point. I mean, there, right. there was multiple other things that went into that, but it was actually gaining a profit as an agency at one point in its history. Not necessarily the case anymore. I mean, there's, I think the U.S. Forest Service gets sued probably more than any other agency out there. And it's all environmental concerns. Yeah, it seems like they're always in litigation over, over one thing or another. And, you know, it's like, it could be as small as just like a small little timber sale. And they're, you know, it's just like, at what point is the juice worth the squeeze? You know, like are, how much time and effort and money do you want to put into like a, a 10 acre parcel or whatever the case may be just to get hammered on the legal side day in and day out. So yeah, I don't, I mean, I've I worked for the forest service a little bit, so I don't know the whole inner workings, but um, yeah, they're, they're, they're an uphill battle for sure. And so, it sucks, man. It, because it affects us on the ground, you know, it affects everybody on the ground. And now you're having long-term consequences further down the road where you have this beetle kill problem or you can't burn hazardous fuels or this, that, and the other, or suppression efforts even may be hindered due to the lack of funding. I mean, it's a very complicated subject and I don't have all the answers and you don't either. But no, I don't think anybody does. I don't think anybody does. I mean, it's just too large and it's just, a big problem and it sucks man it sucks to see it go that way it really does yeah it's it's uh you know we were you know a hundred years behind with fire you know with full suppression strategies and then um you know it was like 
seems like we started to turn the page a little bit with getting fuels programs in place and more prescribed burning and managing fire. And then, um, yeah, other environmental factors and, and political factors and, and budgeting and all that is just like, it all, it all plays into it. And, um, I think everyone from in all agencies from the top down are, are, are feeling the constraints for sure. So, Oh, yeah. yeah, no one, no one's in it alone. I don't think, you know, it's like, and now they're telling, you know, they're telling the, the forest, the surrounding forest that, Hey, like you guys need to be producing more acres. So it's like, okay, but give us more money. Oh, you know, <laughs> no more money. You're not getting any more money, but produce more acres. So it's like, okay, how are we going to do that? <laughs> that whole less is more argument or more, do yeah. more with less rather. Yeah, right. dude, it, it's it's hard, man. It's it, it's that's the whole political thing that, you know, is way beyond us, like I was saying. But, you know, yep. I mean, maybe one day we'll figure it out. But in the meantime, we just kind of got to bear the burden of all this other crap that goes into it. So sure, sure. Yep. But yeah, man. So speaking of <laughs> budgeting and everything like that, let's talk about hiring, man. You, we were talking yeah. off the record about, uh, some, there's some hiring issues right now with the forest service and the NPS BLM, every one of them. Right. So what is going on with the hiring? It seems like they're just doing this massive hiring campaign and that's all agencies, all land management agencies out there. What is going on? Is that because of COVID or is that, are we failing workforce requirements or what, what the heck is going on? Cause we don't hire in the spring. We hire in the fall. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's, um, that's something we saw changing before like the COVID, you know, like we really saw it hit and all the regulations started going in place is um you know I, and, I, and i didn't know that the forest service was going to start doing it but you know the park service like we did a direct hire authority where we've we had a lot a of that too fair. yeah man like we had a job fair in bakersfield of all places um and it was doi and it was like you know like a job fair that you would see anywhere else it's like come to the convention center at this time and and bring a resume and you know if the folks like you you can get a job right off the streets so um and that was more for, you know, like entry level, you know, like seasonal fire folks, but Your they're GS3s also threes and fours. And yeah, but they're also like a large amount of permanent positions that were deemed, um, you know, they made that list. So I know the, you know, the, the BLM, they were hiring a bunch of perms down there at that job fair that both Yosemite and Sequoia Kings went to. Um, we hired two seasonals off of that. Um, you know, I was, I was, I was very pessimistic about like, who's going to show up at Bakersfield, you know, like, you know, what kind of Timmy and Tammy are going to show up and be like, Hey, I want a fire job. And, um, I guess like a ton of people, you know, there's a, a line out the door of people that were interested. So, um, so I think that's good. And I've seen some of the other regions Forest service, you know, they're doing those direct hire authorities and they're putting on job fairs or, or whatever they're calling them. I haven't really looked at them too closely, but, um, I think that's a wave of the future. Like, um, our, our seasonal search, you know, year after year, they're dwindling, you know, a couple years ago, like we had, I want to say like over 700 names on our GS4 search Jeez. for the park, just for Yosemite. And, uh, we hire all of ours off the same search. So the engine modules, the hell attack, and the and the crew um you guys do kind of like a combined announcement 
We do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's all the, it's all on there. It's all, you know, it's, it's all under one announcement number on USA jobs. Um, but that went, that that's steadily declined. You know, we had, I think like right around a hundred names this year. And I think that's we had it? like, yeah. And our, our, our five, like we have, so we have GS fives and we hired, we, have, we actually hire a few GS six seasonals here in Yosemite. And, um, you're talking like single digits for applicants on those certs. Um, so I think, you know, like to get back to like, what, what, what's going wrong or what are we doing wrong? Um, I think it just comes down. It's just, it's the dollars and cents, man. Like, why would you come like when the economy was doing really well and humming along, like why would you come work doing a fire job where you have to work your ass off and sleep in the dirt? And, you know, it's like a lot of people now, like they live on that connectivity of like, they can jump on their phone and, and, and be able to do like we're doing right now, like FaceTime or, you know, have that like instant um, connectivity with folks. And so, it's like, why would you do that now when you can go get a job in the private sector and probably make more money and sleep in a bed at night? Um, so I think that has quite a lot to do with it, at least at the lower levels. Um, you know, just, yeah, you, you got to really, as you know, like you got to really like want to do this job to enjoy it and, and, and keep coming back year after year. Um, but at the, at the, at the upper levels, you know, like you get into the perms, like the crew leads, the GS sevens, the eights, and the nines, um, we're just not seeing the applicant pool there either. It's, really? I know some jobs flew like a GS 11, uh, fuel specialist, like a fuels division. And, um, you know, the job was announced for one or two weeks or whatever the case was. And they had zero, like they had a fucking goose egg. They didn't attract any applicants. None, none wow. whatsoever. And it's not that there's not people out there that are qualified. I think it's just like, you know, when I got my start, it was like people were just, you know, chasing the promotion, like they're willing and able to go anywhere. And I think you still see that somewhat at the seasonal level, like, hey, I'm going to do two years here and then I'm going to go work on a crew somewhere else and a different fuel type or whatever. You know, like I'm going to move around while I can. I just don't know if like the people I talk to, they're just like, I'm happy where I am. Like, why would I want to move? And I'm guilty of it. Like, I probably won't go anywhere anytime soon yeah so so i you know i think it's like that that has a lot to do with it i think people are just happy in the place that they are and and they're not really willing to like you know uproot and move to a new place you know you know especially if they have families like that's always that's always rough to like move a family around especially if you have kids too yeah yeah for sure like um that's always a big factor you know like some days I'll just, you know, have a bad day or whatever. And I'll go home. I'm just like, fuck it. I'm applying for a new job. Like I'm, I'm over it. But then I look around, I'm like, Oh yeah. Like that means new schools and kids making friends. And yeah. so the, fam- the, the family side of it. Um, but a lot now, like what we're seeing in California is like, we just can't compete with Cal fire and, and now PG and E's getting in the fire game. Yep. I know firsthand if uh, I could probably name three people off of very reputable crews that have just jumped ship to PG and E. Yeah. And with like, and, and exactly it. Like I, I, I could name just as many. And, and I actually, I saw last summer I was driving home from Fresno and I saw some crew buggies pass by. And so I texted my buddy, I'm like, Hey, where are you guys going? And he goes, 
I don't know. I was like, I, I resigned two weeks ago and I work for PG&E now. Oh, wow. And he and I, he and I started the same year, you know, so he had 20 years in, um, all on the same crew. And so I was like, but you can't blame him, you know, like you got to do what's, what's good for you and your family and, and whatnot. And like, sometimes that's it. It's like the bottom line is the bottom line. And it's like, we can't compete financially with, with some of these other agencies or private industries. So, well, especially in California where the cost of living is so damn high, you know, I, I understand it from like a money makes sense kind of perspective, you know, <laughs> but this problem is even like going even to every, every little bit of America, man. It's like even rural America where the cost of living is not so high and the people that are living in rural America, they genuinely love where they live, man. Yeah. And they have these awesome jobs and it's just really not enough, man. There's no guarantee, especially in those rural departments. So those rural agency areas, it's hard to move up. You're going to be a GS4 for a long ass time. It really is. I think that's, that's a great point. Like that's, you know, something I, I, I didn't, I didn't mention, but like the promotion side of it is, is huge. You know, it's like, it's stagnant though. It's super stagnant. And I, I, and I, I feel bad, you know, like we have folks that have been seasonals here year after year after year, but it's like, we don't have that carrot to dangle. Like we can't just be like, Hey, cause we don't, you know, we're not, we don't have, we don't participate in the apprenticeship program, like for service. And like, even if we did, like, we just don't have the capacity to keep adding, you know, permanents every year. So it's, it's hard to be like, Hey, keep coming back and giving us your hundred percent but you're never going to get past the GS4 because we just don't have the positions open. We don't have the positions and the people that are here, you know, for better or for worse, they're like, they're here because they want to be here and they're probably not going to move on anytime soon. So, um, we're starting to see that more and more where, you know, for years on end, like when I was running the module, I had guys that were like seven, eight year seasonals. And, um, you know, towards the last couple of years that I was the captain, they're just like, Hey man, like I can't do this anymore. Like, I'm turning 30, you know, 30 plus, like I got to get something permanent. I'm like, yeah, man, hundred percent. Like I, I, I full on support you and yeah. whatever I can do to help you like move on. Like I will. And I, I feel super bad that like we can't accommodate. And it's not just here, as you know, it's like, it's everywhere, it's all, man. It's all over. It's, yeah. it's, I think it's just like, like other things that we've discussed. It's just like, I don't, I don't have the answer. You probably don't have the answer. It's just, it's an ongoing situation and it's, it's tough because there's a lot of good, a lot of good people out there that, that I think would do really well and, and thrive in a permanent position and we just can't offer it to them. So it's, it's that's tough. like the really shitty part too, is like you could have one of those dialed, you know, second or third year, I don't know, firefighters, just your GS three or four. And it's hard to offer them a five, man. I've seen it. I've seen it happen on many districts. It sucks. Yeah, it does. It does. And I think that's like, that's the time when, and when you need to be offering in those positions, you know, they're still, you know, maybe they're not young, you know, maybe they are getting laid into the fire game and, um, but they're gung ho and they want to learn and, and they, and they're doing they're you know, they're willing to do what it takes to, to move up and, and work on those task books and get out of their comfort zone and, you know, like go detail on a hotshot crew or go detail or fill in or whatever, on an engine module. And, um, I would a hundred percent want to give someone like that a job over like the 10 year seasonal or even some perms that are just like, you know, just phoning in every day and just show up 
because yeah. they have a job and it's just like you're not going to get anything out of them because they know like they're set but then you have these hard chargers behind them that are just like yeah i want a job hell yeah i want a job and you're just, just like, super hungry and eager yeah i'm just like hey dude like i can give you a seasonal and but sorry man so that's a, that's a fight that we've had and it sounds like you know it's everywhere else it's just like i don't know it is one of those fights, though, but it, I mean, this is one of those discussions that needs to be had. I mean, I'm not going to complain about the way any agency that I've worked for has treated me. Um, could the pay be a lot better? Yes, but that's something that is a very, very common misconception with the public, especially is like, oh, you say you're a wildland firefighter. You guys make a shit ton of money. And it's like, well, no, the reason why we're so hungry for overtime and everybody says this is like, yeah, you shouldn't be bragging for overtime, right? Which is true. Because that means people are losing property, people are losing yep. homes, people are yep. the, the United States is losing a ton of valuable resources. But the truth of the matter is, is like we're eager for off district assignments and some sort of overtime because that's the only way we can survive. Period. Yeah, yeah, Period. especially seasonals. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it, you know, it's like if you're not making that overtime and and the cost of living here in, in California, it's like if you're a GS three or four, like half of your pay, half of your base check is going to rent utilities, food. It's like, you got a couple hundred bucks after all that comes out to like, to make it. And so, yeah, like you're going to have the the overtime whores or whatever you want to call them that are just like, yeah, like I'm, I'm whatever overtime I can work. I, I want to do it. And um, I was one of those guys, man. I, I, straight up i'm not gonna lie to anybody I've, no i hustled for a long time <laughs> you have to though i mean that's a thing it's like you really do to make rent throughout the winter you need to make it x amount of dollars and if you don't get x amount of dollars well unemployment doesn't pay the bills i'm sorry no it doesn't it doesn't maybe now it does with all this going on they're getting extra but you know like in a normal year you're right it it doesn't and um and it's it it sucks for sure and um but yeah, I think the, you know, the, 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 the pay is always going to be one thing. And I've always been one of those, like, I've kind of been on the flip side, you know, and it's, I guess it's easier for me to say now that I'm a, a higher GS level, but it's like, I don't, it, you know, it's like, if I did this job for the money, I would go work for a different agency. Yeah. It definitely yeah, attracts. And we all know who those agencies are that are going to pay you the big dollars. Yeah. But it's like, at the end of the day, man, like, Last year, we went on a fire out at the Grand Canyon at the end of the year. I went out with a module to help them out with some staffing. And, um, you know, like we were camping right on the right on the north rim of the Grand Canyon, like watching the sunset every night. It's like, like a bitch in view. Oh, dude, it was badass. And it's just like, hey, like maybe we don't get paid the most. Maybe, you know, maybe we get asked to do some some outlandish things. And I mean, maybe we don't agree with policy or, or management sometimes. But like at the end of the day, I think the majority of us do this because we love the work and we love to be outside. And it's like, Hey, like I can forego a couple, a couple dollars to see this view and, and hang out with the guys and the gals. Cause I think that's what it all ultimately comes down to. And if, if you're chasing the dollar, then this job's not for you then. Nope. Nope. It's really not. You know, there, there's other jobs, you know, if, if you want to go work for like a city fire department, if that, you know, if that's, if that's what uh, tickles your fancy, then there's always jobs out there for that too. So yeah, it's, it, it, but uh, you know, it's, it's, it's rough because you want to do what's right for all your, for your crew and for your people. And, 
and um you can't just make more money up here so it, it can be tough for sure yeah but you're you're hit that nail on the head right there man i mean we do exchange a very unique very badass job in exchange for a couple bucks an hour i mean yeah. it takes it i'm not gonna lie to you guys i mean it takes a very very specific individual to do this job and do it well but i wouldn't have changed it for the world yeah am i not paid the greatest it's not all about that no it's no, about the passion man it's all about the passion oh yeah 100 percent. and you know it's like i was thinking about it last year you know it was like it was a slow fire season like we talked about but uh i went on a, i did some went on a project went on an assignment um and spent some time out at the bay area network that's part of the park service out in san francisco and uh hung out on the pacific ocean side and then took an assignment out for hurricane dorian cleanup and and hung out at the outer banks in north carolina so i was like i went from one side of the country to the other for work and got paid to do it i was like how many other people can say that and then everywhere in between went to the grand canyon went on a couple other little assignments so it's like at the end of the day, I think it's a wash for sure. Oh yeah, man. And that's the thing I wouldn't, like I said, man, I wouldn't have traded anything for the world. It's, it's one of the greatest jobs in the world. And I'll stand by that. 100%. Oh yeah. Yep. That's another thing too, I guess is like, it's not without its problems. Don't get me wrong. But you know, if you go to jump ship to another agency, it's going to have its problems too. Oh yeah. No, they're like, I always tell people like I've, I've worked for the forest service, both in California and in Oregon. It's like, um, great agency. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I have nothing, like you said, I have nothing bad to say about my fed service. Like I've had a great time. Um, but like the grass isn't greener on the other side. Like if you think you're going to jump ship and go work, go work for a different agency or different, uh, in a different state, maybe same agency in a different state. It's like, we've all got our, we've all got our issues and, and, um, like everyone's just doing their best to work through them. But yeah, it's like, people are going to be dealing with it no matter where you work. Oh, absolutely. That's a good point, man. I mean, I mean, what else could we do to though? I mean, that's, that's another thing too, with all those retention issues is what else can we do to address this retention issue? That's, you know, I think that's the million dollar question. And, and, um, you know, I, I think it, it's kind of, it's kind of sad to say, but with, with what's going on right now and the unemployment rate, you know, I think you're going to see people like I've known a lot of people that have walked away from fed jobs over the last couple of years to start their own. You know, we talked about tree mortality and, and tree companies are a big thing yeah. in our local area right now. So like, why would I, you know, I could go walk away and, and run my own company, but like, who knows how it's all going to look and people might start trickling back to the feds. Like, I think it kind of, you know, it kind of, it's like the tide, you know, it's like high tide and low tide kind of ebbs and flows. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but to answer your question, I just, I just, I don't know. Like, I think it's, it's ultimately going to come down to like to pay. And, and we just talked about how, you know, how it's like, that's not the ultimate, that's not the ultimate, um, deciding factor. But for a lot of people, it's just like, you look at that salary as a three or a four or even a five and you're just like, I can't do that. I can't do that when I can go work at wherever, you know, in and out burger pays as much as like a GS four. I know, man, it's kind of wild. I would, or go work at Costco or something like that. It's like, you can make just as much doing that. Yeah. But the whole thing is, are you going to be happy at the end of the day? Probably not. 
I mean, I know I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be either, man. No, I think. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think it, it's pay has something to do with it. Um, the ability to promote has a lot to do with it. And a, a big thing that's been a factor here, and I'm sure it is a lot of other places, is just like training opportunities. Because like for a long time, I was the only permanent on the module. So it was like, it was me and eight or nine seasonals. So I couldn't step away to like take a single resource assignment because then the module was shut down. Like they'd be in park, you know, cutting brush every day and in the middle of summer. So I think that that's, that's another huge factor is like a lot of these modules out there because of staffing reasons, maybe they only have one or two qualified folks. And so they don't have the ability to step away and, and go out and take a single resource assignment or take um, to work on a task book or to take a detail or something like that, because then their module suffers or the program suffers. And um, I think you're always going to get those folks that are just like, they're an eye guy and they're, they're going to go do it no matter what. But I think a large majority of people in the fire service are, they do it because the people that work around them. And if it means like, putting their career on hold to make the modules successful, then I think that's what they'll do. And that, that's what I did for a long time. And then I was lucky enough to get another perm on the crew where I could step away and start working on some stuff. And I was super thankful for that. But um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of modules out there. I think that are just, they're stagnant and they're stuck because they're stuck with the calls they have and they can't move up because they don't have the ability to go out and set a single resource. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is like gaining those opportunities, man. It, you're Every time you go into a new position or you try and do something else, you're stepping into a new thing. It's relatively the unknown. I mean, that's just the way it is. But that brings up a good point though, because when we were talking off of, off of the show, we made that, you made that whole conversation or that whole, uh, that adage, the fake it till you make it thing. Yeah. That was pretty cool, but it brought up an interesting conversation though. Yep. It's, it's like, is it fake it till you make it or is it make it till you make it? You know, it's one of those kind of weird thought, thought experiments, I guess we had. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah. Like the, after we were talking about that the other day, I, I, I was talking to my wife and she's like, fake it till you make it. Is that like, is that really what you want to say? And I'm like, I'm like, no, it's not really fake it. Cause you're not faking it. You're not yeah. like you're fucking it in. Like, I think make it till you make it is, is it's pretty accurate. You know, it's like, um, yeah, you, you step into a new job, whether it's like a squad boss or a crew boss or, you know, um, an engineer on a, on a, on an engine or, or whatever the case may be. Or, you know, like for me personally, like stepping into this battalion job, it was like, I was treading water, you know, just like, just I'm just barely like, I'm staying just afloat. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like, I'm not, you know, like I'm not taking on more because I'm just like, I'm dealing with what I'm dealing with now. And, um, but yeah, like you just, you just keep, you just keep plugging away and you make it till you make it. And just like lessons learned, like, Oh yeah. Like that did, that didn't work. Like, okay. Back up, regroup, like what's going to work. Okay. That worked. And, um, it's different at every level, you know, at the level that I'm at now, it's, it's not so much like out in the field, like lessons learned. It's like, Oh, I want to do a project. Oh, I got to talk to X, Y, and Z before I can do that. And I just went to Z and they're like, Oh, did you clear it with, or did you talk to that person? I'm like, Oh damn. Nope. So that, that pushes back your time frames, And, um, so yeah, it's all just, it's all just a big, a big lesson learned. And, uh, yeah. But I think over the course of time, 
you know, it doesn't, it's not like you just don't have that aha moment where you're like, yes, I got this job figured out. You know, it's like, you're never, if you, if you think you got the job figured out, then you're probably doing something wrong. That's the day you should probably quit. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's just like, but every, every day, you know, it's just like, Hey, like, all right, now I, I, I got that and the, I got that in the toolbox and I know that and like, I know I need to talk to that person or communicate with that person or as a duty officer, like there's so many more layers to just being like a fire duty officer. You got to coordinate with the wilderness, the wilderness division, um, the search and rescue division. So, um, yeah, there's just a, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of trial and error and, um, it's going to be more air for people out there that are listening. Like there's going to be more air. Like I don't want to sugarcoat and do like, first time out of the gate, you're going to figure all, you're going to figure it out and like solve all the world's problems. Hell no, you won't. Like you're going to have a lot of cringe worthy moments where you're just like, Holy shit. Like, and you're going to and not, it's not maybe going to be like right off the bat, you're going to realize it, but it may be a day or two or a week or a month later where you look back and you're just like, Oh God, that was a horrible decision I made or, <laughs> or you no, know, like I could have handled that situation so much better. So, um, yeah, don't don't fall into the trap where you think like, hey, I'm going to figure this all out and I'm going to be the world's greatest crew boss or whatever. Like, you're going to fail a lot. <laughs> and that's fine. That's totally I think that's totally you should. You really should. Um, but not not in the effect or not in the uh, sense that you're, you know, putting people's lives at, at risk or, you know, or compromising safety of the crew or for yourself. Like, um, but yeah, there's going to there's going to be some failures for sure. That's a good point that you broke or you bring up though. It's like, there's that, there's that, that term, you know, fake it till you make it, which is really, in fact, make it until you make it, you got to figure shit out. But also there's that on the other side of that pole, I guess there's that, uh, that term you fuck up, you move up. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's another term though. It's, that's another thing that can be related to that. Make it till you make it thing. You have to fuck up to in order to learn. There's, that's just what it is, man. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's, you know, that's, that's totally true. And, um, and like I said, you know, as long as those, as long as those fuck ups aren't like compromising the safety of your crew or people around you or other, other crews. Um, but yeah, like I've, you know, and it, it, and it's not, it hasn't just been like messing up with people like in my immediate work group, you know, I was like, I've gone to some meetings with, with leadership teams and, and just totally just been like, Holy shit. And walked out of there. But, and then like had correspondence with those folks later down the road. And they're like, Hey, like maybe try this, you know, maybe. And, and so that's been a lot of lessons learned. So now I'm just like, I'm to the point where I've never been like, I need to prepare and and, and go into this thing. And I was always been like, I'll just wing it. And (laughs) Now I'm just like frantically like writing down notes and having all my shit together before I go to meetings. Um, almost to the point where like for this, I was just like, man, I should get some notes together before we have it. And then I was like, you know what? Nah. Like, I think it'll be more real this way. Yeah. But, um, but there's definitely times where, you, you know, there's a time and a place for everything, but like, um, having, having kind of having all your ducks in a row, I think we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get you, we'll do you well. Yeah. I think there's a balance between that too. I mean, if you go into things with an open mind, but somewhat prepared, I think you're kind of set yourself up to for success, you know, that kind of wing it attitude, but as be also prepared at the same time, just finding that balance, I think between the two that, and 
having good leadership behind you too, man. Cause I think one of the most remarkable or one of the best signs of a remarkable leader is them allowing you to mess up, but not get anybody hurt. Yeah. 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 Like, I mean, like a good leader, like you just said, like they'll, they'll, they'll give you enough lead ways. Like they'll, they'll know like, Hey, like I can give this person this much freedom or slack knowing that they can operate within that area and not, and not hurt anybody, but they'll probably make a mistake or two along the road, but it's not, you know, it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to really like tip the scales one way or the other as to the total outcome of the, whatever you're working on the incident, the project, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, having that, having that, that leadership support behind you is, um, by far, by far the number one thing. And, um, I've been lucky to have that throughout my career. Like, Hey, like I'm going to go into uncharted waters here and, and, and I, you know, I'm not going to knock it out of the park right off the bat. And I've had those people that have been like, yeah, like go for it, see what happens. And, and, and you got my support one way or the other, like, like we're in this together. And, and, um, that's been huge to have, to have those leaders in your court or in your corner and also have those mentors too, that are just like, that can kind of guide you and you can bounce ideas off of, and they're not necessarily going to be like, well, I did it this way. So this is the only way you can do it. I hate that. I hate that mentality. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's like they have an open, open mindset and you can, and you can call them up and be like, Hey man, like I was kind of thinking this, like, what, what do you think? And they'll be like, yeah, like I've, 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 you know, I've been in that same situation and this is how it played out for me. But like, this is also, you know, you could try it this way or that way. And these are some of the pitfalls. And so um, I think having good leadership behind you and good mentors will, uh, will benefit you the greatest moving forward in your career, um, moving up the, moving up the chain of command. So if you don't have that, if you don't have that foundation, then uh, you'll, you'll be in for a, in for a tough haul for sure. Yeah, no shit, man. But that's a cool <laughs> thing about where having this conversation, this candid conversation with a battalion such as yourself. I think that's cool because everybody below you is still going through that. They're still learning all these things to leadership. Yeah, it, 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 it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Um, you know, we have, uh, we have a gal on the crew this year. She's a perm and, um, our assistant just left for a new job. So it's kind of like tag you're it. And, um, so she's like, you know, she's, she's where I was, you know, like, Hey, you're, you're treading water. You're the only perm on the crew this year. And, um, so yeah, just like doing what I can to help her out. And, uh, and she's, and she's figuring it out. And there's definitely been, you know, we had a, I talked to her on the phone just the other day and it was like, and, um, there was definitely some lessons learned and she's like, well, what about this? What about that? And it's like, Hey, like, there's a right and a wrong way to do some of these things. Like some things, you know, you have some wiggle room, like, Hey, I could do like this or I could do like that. But some other things, it's just like, it's policy or, you know, it's just like, that's how things have to get done. And, um, just like navigating that, navigating that as a new, as a new, um, as a new crew lead or, or battalion as myself, like it can be, it can be frustrating to, to navigate those kind of uncharted areas. So Dude, policy, like that's the one thing as you guys move up into uh, leadership positions, dude, policy will bury you. That's what oh, yeah. I learned that real quick. <laughs> it 
Yeah. Yeah. Policy will either make or break you. And so know your policies, I guess at the end of the day is the message that you're saying there. Yeah. Know your policies. And just like, it's, it's the mundane work. That's like, you know, it's the driving the desk work. No one wants to do it. No one wants to do it. And I'm guilty of it myself. And I kind of shunned it, you know, for a little while. And then like, but it'll bite you in the ass real quick. Like it'll, it'll be real quick. Um, and so just like, take the time, sit down, you know, read through that manual, read through that policy. Um, talk to people about it. Talk to people about it. You know, like talk to your, you know, talk to your, your, whatever your command structure is, you know, um, for me, it's been like just learning the duty officer book and, and things like that. So it's just like, um, cause never, don't ever, don't ever get in the trap of like, well, I don't want to learn policy because I'll never have to put it in place. Cause the moment you think that bullshit, oh, oh yeah, it'll bite you in the ass real quick. And then, and then people are like, well, why, why didn't you follow this? Or why didn't you follow that? And you're like, uh, 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 cause I didn't, cause I didn't know because, I'm a dumbass and just thought I could just go out and run chainsaw every day and not follow Paul and not read like, so it can be, it can be, it can be rough for sure. Oh yeah, man. That's another thing too, man. It's like you, you've a firsthand experience, like all these lessons on the road to leadership, man. So what are some other lessons that you learned? Um, yeah, there's uh, <laughs> a lot, a lot, there's been a lot of, um, uh, I, I mentioned it before, but like cringeworthy moments or like, um, and, um, but yeah, less, a lot of lessons learned, you know, I think the biggest lesson learned for me is just, um, you know, if you can, if you can take care of your crew and put the crew first, especially at that crew level, like that'll go a long ways. Um, if you put the crew first and take care of the, and take care of the guys and the gals, like they'll do a lot to make your life a lot easier. And then, um, you know, another, another, another big lesson learned for me was like, uh, maybe you don't agree with other people's opinions inside and outside of your work group or your agency or your division, but, um, you got to value those people's opinions and where they're coming from. And maybe they're, you know, they have a, they have a outside pressure pushing them that, and so that's like, that's driving their opinion or what they bring to the table. Um, so you got to, you got to, you know, value other people's opinions. You go, you got to respect where people are coming from. Um, you can't just take it for granted that everyone's in the same mindset as you. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm definitely not like the typical type A personality. Um, you know, I'm not going to like walk in and just like try and take over a conference or a meeting or whatever the case may be. But, uh, you know, I, I just want to do what's right and, 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 and get the job done. And sometimes that's gotten me in trouble with just like totally devaluing somebody else's opinion. Um, so that, that, that's been a couple big lessons learned for me is like, you really got to respect where other people are coming from. And, um, cause as yourself, you know, from, from like, I want them to respect like my opinions and my, my ideas and where I'm coming from. So. Um, those have been some of the bigger ones, but it's always, you know, always revert back to like the crew before you like always take care of the crew. And, and maybe now where I am as a battalion, it's not so much the crew, it's, it's the program and, and, and the fuels program, especially for me, but the program overall, I'm like, it's like, I'm going to do whatever I can every day to help, to help the program. And, and, um, 
and that's just the bottom line for me. And that's a good thing too, though. But it's like taking care of your firefighters, taking care of the people below you. I I guess below you. I'm saying that with air quotes. But those are ultimately the people that are going to make or break you, and keeping them safe, especially, dude. That's that's huge. Yeah, it's 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 such it's such the little things, you know. Like I was listening to um, to your podcast with JJ, and he was talking about just like it's the little things, you know, like if you got to go in off the line and like take care of some admin stuff and like you can bring the crew ice cream or something oh, back yeah. out or like a cheeseburger or something like that. Like they will be so pumped and you'd be so surprised what they'll do, <laughs> you know, for something as little as that. Like when you've been out just, you know, just hammering away for day after day after day, just getting your ass then, kicked. Yeah. And then you have like the little, the little creature comfort of like someone brings a hog and bar up to you and you're like, Hey man, like, I just want to say thanks. Like, you know, and, and then just pass them down the line. Um, but yeah, like ultimately like all my success has been, I can trace it back to having a good, having good dudes and gals on the crew that, um, cause without that, like all my failures that I was talking about, they would have probably been tenfold. And, um, and I probably wouldn't have learned from them cause it's like, all right, I screwed that up. And then like someone on the crew would be like, Hey, what do you think about this? And we'll try that. And it'll work. And it will be like, Boom, lesson learned. Like, okay, that didn't have to come from me. Like, I don't have to be the best planner, the best, um, operational guy, the best tree faller or anything like that. But if you surround yourself with people that are like, that's where you're really going to see shit happen. It's like, Hey, like I recognize that I have limitations. Um, other people, do better in other areas than I do. But like I can facilitate moving those people around and having them work on the crew and plugging them into different areas. And, um, it's not to make myself look good. It's to make the crew or the program succeed. So, um, that's, that's been a big, that's been a big lesson learned and continuing to be like, Hey, I need to surround myself, especially like doing the IC three gig. Like you need to surround yourself with a lot of good people right off the bat or you're going to be screwed. Oh yeah. Especially, I mean, yeah. even, even as a captain, you know, you're, you're yeah. you need good folks or else you're going to suffer as a module as a whole. Yeah. And you need those folks that to, you need them to be real with you, you know, and you need to be real with them. Like if, if something's not working and you, you know, you have, you have to have that, you know, it's a cliche, like, um, open door policy or like, if you see something, say something, but that, I think that that's, that's a hundred percent real, you know, like, Hey, if, if this isn't working, let me know so we can stop banging our heads against the wall and move on to something better. Like, I don't care if it comes from me or, you know, first year firefighter, because they're always the ones that see everything for the first time. You know, like we might be like a little tone deaf to some of these things. And they're like, hey, like we we're walking up the line and I, I saw, you know, a widow maker or whatever, you know, and you're looking at a hundred other different things and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Good call, man. Yeah, that's the thing, though. As a module lead, uh, you're you get you can only divide your attention so many times. You can't see everything, and that's where it's critically important to rely on your crew members. Yep, and value yeah. what they have to say. You know, see something, say something. You said it. Yeah, put a hundred percent value in what they have to say, and you know, just like moving on from the crew thing into the position that I'm in. Like, I'm constantly reaching out to people for help. Like. Hey, can you read this over before I send this? Or can you read this over before I submit it? Like, and, um, it's, it's, it's different work, but at the same time, it's the same thing. Like I'm leaning on other people to like 
pay an extra set of eyes, you know, like one is, you know, two is one and one is none type of deal. Like extra set of eyes, opinions is always going to do you good, but you got to be open and not just be like, if someone's like, Hey, that, that, that's not going to work. You can't just be like, ah, fuck you, man. Like that's my, that's my opinion. And we're sticking with it. It's like, no, man, like you gotta be, you gotta be open and willing to have constructive criticism and people come up to you and be like, Hey, I know you've done it like this before, but what if we did it like this? And you're just like, Oh shit. Yeah. Let's do it like, like that. An epiphany moment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you have to like, I've had plenty of uh, cringe moments and I've had plenty of like aha moments. Like, Oh yeah. That makes way more sense. Let's do that. Kind of clicking. Yeah. 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 And then it's like, yeah, it, it, it's, it's awesome. As you know, it's awesome to see all that come together and see a crew or a module or an engine or whatever, just start really humming along. And it's like, dude, you can get a lot of shit done with very few people. Oh yeah. Well, that's the thing though, man, is this, this is the hard and fast facts though. That's, that's of this job is it's inherently dangerous and you need to keep an open mind about it. And, you know, keeping an open mind is going to help you be prepared for unexpected stuff like you've encountered. Unfortunately, uh, you mentioned the Ferguson fire, uh, earlier in the episode. Let's, let's go over that, man. Like what, that's that's I know it's going to be a hard subject to talk about, but you were on the division with yeah yeah, yeah. so you know when 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 we were talking about this the other day and you're like yeah you know like totally your call if you want to talk about it it's like like first of all I think it's one of the big things that I've learned is like um, if you try and hide that or like lock it down it's never going to be good it's never going to be good and I know you've had. Um, I know you've had people on the, on the show that talk about like SISM and peer support. And, um, I'm here to tell you like, um, peer support for me, that's huge. Like find your mentors, find your, find your folks inside or outside of fire that, that you can go to on a moment's notice and be like, Hey, this just, this has hit me. And it might be a year later, but like to have those people out there that you can talk to. And it might just be like, Hey man, like I was just thinking about today and that, that, that was fucked up. And they'll be like, yeah, it was. And that might be it. And that might be it. And that might satisfy, um, you know, like what was bothering you or whatever, but, um, having that, having that good peer support and it doesn't necessarily need to be like only people in fire. You know, I, I, I think people that maybe don't know what you do could have an outside perspective to be like, yeah, I understand what, but like, you're coming from a different, a different view or a different um, type of work. So, but yeah, so that's kind of, um, that's been a big, a big deal for me is this like being able to talk about it. Um, maybe not so much like in a, in an official setting, but just like call up, call up a good friend and be like, Hey, and, and they'll be like, I don't really have any advice for you, but I'll listen. And that maybe that's sometimes all that's like. all it takes though. That's, that's a huge thing. Just like an impartial person to yeah. just listen to, just a vent to, if you need to. Yep. Yeah. Vent vents always a good one. Um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, the Ferguson fire, um, that was my first qualified division assignment. Um, I came home from a fire in Northern California and, um, you know, fires right literally in our backyard. And, and, um, we were, uh, we got, I got assigned to the division and, and, and they were already plugging away a little bit on it with a couple different crews. And, um, so I got plugged in and we had, I think I had five, five crews and it was a pretty gnarly piece of line. Um, 
you know, it was like an old logging railroad that used to be here. And, um, like one of the old narrow gauge logging yep, roads. Yeah, yep, exactly. Exactly that. So, um, we, uh, we put in the line and, and thankfully enough, like with the inversion and fire behavior, we had day after day after day of low fire behavior. So we were able to, to put in the line and then buffer the line and then rebuffer the line. And then finally it all kind of came together. And, uh, and, uh, oh, hold on a second. Carl Trader, I'm going to call. Um, sorry, I all said. Um, so yeah, we, uh, we put in the line and, and, um, it all kind of came together and we ended up, we ended up burning out and, and firing off this whole huge piece of line and it all worked. And, uh, you know, it was like high fives all around, like, holy shit, this worked. And then a day after we, we got done firing, we had a, um, a little bit of a slop over and, uh, we're able to, you know, get the crews in there and get it picked up for the most part got some helicopter support finally. And, um, you know, it was like a couple, three or four or five acres, something like that. And it was like, like, Hey, we're, we're going to pick this up. And we're talking about like mopping up and kind of securing some of the, some of the hazard trees. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's when it went down with, uh, with, uh, Arrowhead and, and Brian Hughes. And they went down there to mitigate some trees and, um, yeah, just, a, just a terrible accident, but it wasn't, you know, they weren't like outside of their scope of expertise. You know, they had two, you know, Brian and another individual, you know, two excellent sea fallers, faller ones. Um, you know, they, from what I gathered, um, you know, they, they talked about it and they had a really good game plan. And, um, yeah, I think just like what I've come to grips with is just like, sometimes there's bad outcomes to, to, you know, their best, your best, uh, your best laid plan. So, you know, it's like you can do everything right and still have a bad outcome, but, um, it doesn't mean that that bad outcome has to be okay. You know, it's, it was, it was fucking horrible. It was, you know, it was a, it was a tragedy. You know, like, and it wasn't too long before that, that, uh, Braden Varney, who I grew up with, went to high school with, um, died in, in his tractor accident he worked for cal fire on the same fire so it was just like this is like one after another you know i was like damn like is this a cursed fire um so yeah so that uh that that uh that incident it wrecked me i'll be honest like it, it wrecked me for a little bit um you know like i went home i demoed from the fire and, and went home and then my wife and and our kids like we left like we just got in the car and drove and went to the coast <laughs> you know and like just spent a couple days. Press. yeah you know it was just like holy shit and i still hadn't even like wrapped my mind around it um but at the same time you know it's like we went to we went to the monterey bay area and um like people over there didn't even you know like the ferguson fire wasn't even a topic you know so that was kind of good at the same point you know it wasn't just like Oh, what's the Ferguson doing today? Like, what are you guys doing on the Ferguson? It's like, they could care less. And that, I think that's kind of what, kind of what I needed. But at the same time, it was like, then it was back to reality and the, you know, back to um, the team investigation and, and dealing with that and, 
and um, the memorial service and, and seeing all those guys again. And um, so, yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, I think a rough, a rough situation is an understatement. It was, it was tough, but at the same time, um, I think a lot of, a lot of good for me personally came out of it. Like after the fact, I realized like, hey, I got to talk about this shit. Like I can't just keep locking it up because it's not healthy for me. It's not healthy for my wife and kids. And that's ultimately who matters the most. Um, you know, in years past, I just lock it all up and just, I could, you know, honestly, I could be a, a, a huge asshole to my wife and kids. And she'd be like, don't treat me like you treat one of your crew members. And that'd be like a huge reality check. Like, Oh man, like, yeah, that's not, that's not, that's not good. So, um, so yeah, I think, you know, coming out of that, it's just like, that's a pretty traumatic incident. You know, it's like I wasn't on the crew and so I can't speak for those guys, but I'm pretty close with a lot of those guys. Um, and, uh, but it was pretty traumatic for me and just like, as things come up and they still come up, like, as I'm sitting here right now, the hand line, I can see it I'm looking at it right now. It's like, you can almost see the accident site. It's like, as that stuff comes up and like to people out there listening, like don't, don't think that you can handle this shit on your own, like break the cool barrier and go talk to somebody. It doesn't have to be a therapist. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, it could be anybody. It could be your best friend from high school that you still, you know, chat with on Facebook or whatever, you know, it could be, um, whoever, like if you need to talk about something and just like, like you said, like vent or rant and rave or kick and scream and cry, like do it, do it. Otherwise, like you'll, you'll, you'll suffer, you'll suffer inside and it's not good. It's, it's really not, it's, it's not good for you. It's not good for the people around you. Um, and it can be, it can be scary, you know, like it can be debilitating, like to the point where it's like, I don't want to fucking move today. Like I'm just going to lay in bed all day because I don't, I don't have any desire to get up and do anything. So that would, that would be my, you know, like my number one take home message is like, break the cool barrier, break the cool factor and, and talk to somebody. It, it could be anybody. It could be a brother, a sister, husband, wife, um, best friend, crew member, whoever. And, um, and maybe they won't have the advice that you're looking for. Maybe it's just someone to listen to you and be like, yeah, dude, that, that, that sucks. I feel bad for you. And, um, so yeah. And that's another thing too, is like, if you need to seek like professional help too, I mean, don't, play the cool guy card either you know no no and 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 we've done a lot better as as an agency park service forest service all the federal agencies state agencies you name it um over the last couple years have done a lot better of recognizing that and getting that help to folks that need it and making that available um i think that's that's been one of the major changes you know we've talked about like you know, there's always kind of been a difference between wildland fire and structure fire. And, you know, um, I think in that respect, we've closed the gap quite a bit that like the support for wildland firefighters has, has exploded lately. You know, the wildland firefighter foundation is, I mean, it's just, it's huge. And all the other, all the other, um, 
all the other smaller foundations like the Eric Marsh Foundation and a couple other things. Um, they've been huge. They've been, you know, that financial su- support, uh, mental support, whatever it is. Um, you can't, you can't put a value on that. It's priceless, have, entirely priceless, it, man. It, it really is to have that support and be able to reach out. And, uh, and I know you had Nelda St. Clair on your first, on your first show. And, um, she was one of the first ones to reach out to me. I'd never met her. And, uh, she called me at home on my, you know, on my home number. I don't know how she got it, but <laughs> she's got her ways. Oh yeah. Yeah. She called me and she's just like, she's like, Hey, let's talk. And I was like, I don't know. And she's like, Hey, like, let's just like, and we just started talking about fire and, and, and her experiences. And, and then, um, so we talked for a little bit and then she called me back again and she had some other, um, some other folks off of her SISM team that were, you know, had been in fire or had really close relationships to folks in fire. And, um, that was, that was, that was big. That was big for her to reach out like that. Um, cause I, I you know, I, I, I don't think I would have reached out otherwise. Like I just probably would have just gone on. Just kind of being, sat there and wore it. Yeah. Just being miserable or whatever, you know, just like lock it up in a box and, and hide it. And, um, but like her support to be like, Hey, it's okay to be pissed and be like cynical towards people. Cause like that, that was my first initial response was like, you guys don't care. Like, you don't know what we do. You guys don't care. You know, like, you don't, you know, like you say you support us, but I don't think you really do. Like, I don't, I don't think you support us. It's a defense mechanism, man. And that's like every wildland firefighter that I've ever met. It has a cynical attitude. Yeah. And I think, you know, and and Nelda, I think she hit the hammer on the head or the nail on the head where she's just like, you have to have some degree of cynicism to be successful in this job. Like you have to like, eh, you know what? Like I'm going to go check it out for myself. Or like, I don't, you know, like I need to go, I need to go truth truth this myself or, or, you know, but, um, so there's a healthy cynicism, I guess, but there's also a very unhealthy and that's where I was. I think like, Hey, like it was me against the world and fuck all you guys. Like, and, uh, it took me a little while to, to get out of that. And, um, but yeah, it all starts with like, have your people, man, have your people in your, in your court. And, um, and you'll know who they are. You'll know who they are real quick. Like you might think, you know, like you have your, you have your guys or, you know, you have your support system, but like when shit goes sideways, you're going to find out real quick who's in your corner and who's just like on the periphery thinking that, you know, it benefited them to be, to be in your group or whatever. And that's the unfortunate thing about this career path, man, is like the longer that you're in it, the higher of a chance that you're going to experience an LLDD. Yours is very, very unique. And, you know, shout, shout out to the families, all everybody involved with Brian Hughes and everybody. Um, yeah, I mean, but to experience that, be on the same division and then be have your duty station basically overlooking the site. That's got to be hard, man. It is. It, it's, you know, it's right where we tied the line into the river here in the, the little community I work in in El Portel, just outside the park. Um, my station's just on the other side of the river, you know, so every day I live in the community, I live just like a mile down the road and you look at that hand line every morning driving in and like all of our PT hikes and stuff are going up the other side of the canyon. So you're like eye level at it 
looking at it. So, um, it's a little sobering. It, it's definitely, it's definitely humbling when you look at it and you're just like, um, man, what, what, what could have been or what couldn't have been. Um, it's like, it's easy to beat long, yourself up though over that too. I mean, oh, yeah, it's, like, it's, it's incredibly difficult to cope with that situation. It is. And for a long time, I was going to say for a long time, I was like, that was my fault. Like that was my mindset. I was like, that was my fault. Like that was my division. I asked those guys day in and day out. Like we had, we had discussions about it. It wasn't just like, you guys are going down that hill no matter what, you know, like day in and day out. They're like, yep, we're good with it. We're good with it. We're good with it. And then, and then it happened. And so it was just like for a long time afterwards, it's like, that was my fault. Like I asked those guys to walk down there and do that. And, and, um, and he died and that, and that was my fault and no one's going to tell me otherwise. And so it took a while to like, to move on from that and, and be like, it wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. It was, you know, it was an unfortunate tragedy. Um, but it wasn't, you know, it was like, like I said, like sometimes there's just bad outcomes and, um, you know, you can, you can do whatever you can plan for it the best you can. You can do any sand table exercise or mock scenario, but I'll tell you what, man, like as soon as that happens, it's like that Mike Tyson quote, like everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Like you you are lost. Like as soon as that comes over the radio, you're just like, I think like not lost in the sense of like, you just don't know what to do and you freeze up, but it's like, everything goes out the window and it's just fight or flight. You know, it's like, okay, you know, you have to do certain things and get, and get the wheels in motion. And and we had that stuff in place with like REMS teams and paramedics and, and short haul to get, to get them out of there. But, um, it's like, as soon as you're punched in the face, man, it was just like, it was, it was game on. And, um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't work. I wouldn't wish that experience or that emotion on anybody i wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy like it was just it was it was horrible it was horrible so i understand man that's the thing too is that that an experience like that has lasting impacts as well i mean we've we spoke with gary about it we spoke with you about it and i'm sure there's tons of other people that haven't been on the podcast that are experiencing the same exact thing you know uh with either Brian or any other of the fatalities that we've experienced in the field. And it's hard, man. It's, it's gotta be hard. I've never experienced it. So I can't really speak on the matter from a point of view that I truly understand, but I can empathize with the people out there. Yeah, it's, um, it, it, it's difficult. I think it's difficult even if you're on a fire and there's a fatality, you know, early in my career, we were on a fire and there was a fatality of, you know, up on the stands of fire when the Lassen national forest engine rolled over. Um, we didn't even know those people and that, and that still hits home. And, um, those are our brothers and sisters, man. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And so, um, yeah, to, to, to not only be like responsible for that division, but then to know that person and have like a personal relationship with that person, that just, um, that just tenfold makes it, uh, and almost to the point where like, once we, you know, like back to like when it was actually happening, it was just like, you almost want to do more, like almost put yourself in undue risk 
to help that person, which is never good. You know, like you don't want to do more to put other people in risk because it's, because it's personal to you. Um, and that, that's a hard, that's a hard line to walk. You know, it's like, you know, if it was somebody I didn't know, you know, would, would you do, would you do all those other things to, to try and get them out of there? I don't know. I mean, I honestly don't know. Like that might sound like a shithead thing to say, but you don't know. Like it's like, but if you know it's, it's somebody that you know personally, then yeah, like human nature, you're probably going to do more to try and help that person out. And, um, yeah, it, it, it sucks. It sucks one either way you look at it. It's just, um, but yeah, it's like, it was a bad, you know, horrible situation, but like I've learned a lot about myself moving, moving on from that and having, having those real conversations with like, not only myself, like driving around, like looking at things, like just thinking to myself, like, Oh man, like this is how I would play it. Or this is how, you know, or just having those conversations with other folks. Um, cause that was never me before. Like that was never me before. I would never talk to anybody. I'd just, I'd just go on, bury it, move on. And, um, now like the best piece of advice was from a buddy of mine. He's just like, he's like, it's going to come up a year down the road, a week down the road, whatever. He's like, and don't, don't try and don't try and bury it. He goes, whenever, whenever you have those feelings about something, talk about it. And for everybody out there listening, like whenever you have those feelings or like, you know, something's not sitting right. Just like, just talk to somebody. Like it could be a short and sweet conversation or it could, you know, it could morph into like an hour long conversation. But, um, if you don't, it'll, it'll eat you up inside. I'm here to tell you that it'll eat you up inside a hundred percent. And that's, that's another thing too, man, is that that's one of your buddies out there. That was one of your friends. Yep. Yeah. And, um, you know, just two weeks before that, it was another one of my friends that, you know, he and I played high school baseball together. So, and that happened when I was driving home from the other fire, you know, I was like, in, you know, like weed or something like that, you know, and like I got a call from my father-in-law. He's like, Hey, they're, uh, they're looking for his dozer and he's been, you know, out of communication for like eight hours now. Mm -hmm. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, they don't know. And then it all came out. So it's just like, um, yeah, it's just like, it, it hits super close when it's, when it's people, you know, it's, but you know, at the same time, it's, it, it's the job we do too. You know, it's like, you know, that paper that came out a couple of years ago, the big lie. Mm -hmm. Like if you're going to sit there and tell yourself that like nothing bad's going to happen to you or, you know, you, you, you tell your family like, Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm going to go on this assignment, but I'll be back. Like, it's fine. Like nothing bad's going to happen to me. It's like, it's the big lie, right? You know, you're, you're lying to yourself. You're lying to friends and family and coworkers or whatever. It's like, it's the unexpected. Like you just never know. Like you could plan for everything and that branch falls out of that tree or you're driving to a fire and a drunk driver is coming the other way and hits you. And you know, you never, you just never know. So it's like, having that expectation that um that that things could that things could go that things could go bad and, and being and being realistic with people and that's the thing man is that's just being real with yourself that's going to help you along uh a lot 
in case, you know, I mean, hopefully it never happens to anybody, but you know, the harsh reality is of that whole big lie paperwork paper that came out on, uh, was that wildland fire LLC lessons learned center? Yep. That's the unfortunate truth of things. It could happen. Yeah. And I think you need to be real, real honest and, and, and know that, um, you know, year after year, it's like, it's not like years go by where we don't have fatalities. Like year after year, people in the fire service are, are dying for any various reasons. You know, it's always seems to be kind of the same, you know, there's, there's tree accidents, there's driving, but it, it could, you know, it could be anything like people are dying, taking the pack test. And, and, um, so yeah, having those, having those hard conversations with first yourself and then other people, um, that, Hey, shit could go bad real quick. Yeah. And there, and it doesn't matter how well trained or prepared or how good a shape you're in or whatever. Um, mother nature is a great equalizer. Then ain't that the truth, man? <laughs> yep. God, that's heavy, man. I mean, uh, yeah, let's take a minute for, uh, Brian and all the other, and all of the other folks that have, uh, unfortunately lost their lives in duty in the line of duty there. It's, uh, unfortunate, but we can honor them moving forward. Yeah. It's, uh, I think every, every day, if you're not, if you're not doing something to, to honor them and, 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 and better your, better your life or your career, then, um, then you're failing, man, you're, you're failing. Like every day you should come to work wanting to learn something new or, or help out the crew or the engine or the hell attack or whatever it is, whatever module you work on, like come in every day, like wanting to, wanting to, to, to be a better person, a better firefighter, a better, better crew member, whatever it is, man. Cause like, you never know, like whenever, whatever, you know, that could be your, that could be your last day. You know, like that's the, that's the fucking harsh truth about it. Like you just never know. Oh yeah. And that's another thing too, is like, I know a lot of people get bored. They get pissed off because they have to read the every day, the six minutes for safety or something out of lessons learned center. And I'm going to tell everybody out there just straight up, do not ever discount these memos, these lessons learned, these six minutes for safeties, because you're doing a huge dishonor to the people that have fallen in the line of duty. Because every lesson that we have learned, unfortunately, we're built upon the backs of people that have fallen. So take all this stuff seriously. Yeah. Yeah. There's the, they're there for a reason. You know, it's like, it was somebody's lesson learned and maybe they paid the ultimate price for that lesson learned. And so I think we, we, as folks moving forward should do our very best to, to learn from that and, and, and do better by them. Absolutely. Well, damn, man, that was heavy. That was a, a heavy <laughs> section of the, the show. Like, yeah. Sorry about that. It's like, but when don't apologize, no, you're being straight up and like, real. Yeah. Like that's just like, yeah, those are, those are daily conversations I have in my, in my head. And, um, you know, there's some days that are just like, it's like, man, that's still my fault. And there's other days where it's just like, yep. Shitty situation, shitty ending. But like, um, you know, we're ultimately trying to, trying to get a job done. So, but yeah, it doesn't, doesn't make it any better some days. I totally understand.
That's got, like I said, man, that's gotta be hard. <laughs> and I, I, I can't even begin to comprehend what that's like for you. No, it's, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's difficult, but, um, you know, going back, like one thing I should, I should mention, and that's been really good for me. And I think for a lot of folks out there is just like to have that foundation at home, whatever that is, you know, if you're still living with mom and dad doing this job seasonally going to school or, you know, you got girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever at home, husband, wife, significant others, like that, that, that situation has to be solid at home for you to make it work doing this job. And, um, yeah, like take away like a fatality accident, but just like, just like day in and day out going on fire assignments, back to back roles, being gone for, you know, months on end during the summer. Um, that, that stuff has to be squared away. You got to have a solid foundation at home to be, to be squared away doing your job. Um, Otherwise it just, it doesn't work, man. And I'm sure you've seen it and I've seen it. And you know, it's just like, there's been people on the crew that just like, it's a shit show of a personal life and it shows and you can't, it's hard because you can't rely on that person. You're just like, like, where's your mind right now? And you know, they're a million miles away and we're doing, you know, fire is a pretty dynamic environment. And to add in like all these other external feelings, like, that shit's never going to work. Like it's never going to be, it's never going to work out in the end. And that's the importance of taking care of yourself, man. You got to have shit dialed in. Like you got to be 100% all the time in this job. Yeah. And it's not just, you know, I think, you know, for a long time, it was just like the physical side, like PT, 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 train, train, train. But, um, what we're learning now over the last however many years is like that mental health and mental strength and, um, and, um, being able to, to have that in, in place along with, I'm not saying don't go out and PT and, and do that kind of stuff. Cause don't, you know, that'll, uh, that'll bite you in the ass real quick too. But, um, the, the mental side and the, and the family side and, and everything else, I think is, is all just as important as anything else. Absolutely. No, man, that's some excellent words of advice and I, I definitely appreciate it. And we had to talk about some hard things and you know what, man, it's, that's the thing is like, we're, we're problem solvers. We overcome things. No, I appreciate it, man. It's still good for me just to talk about it. You know, like I actually had to go outside because one of the other guys came in the office and, um, you know, so I was like, it was right there, but yeah, I I appreciate it. I appreciate you. You you know, one, you having me on here to talk about it, but it's still, it's still therapeutic for me just to talk about like the minor details and, and, um, cause like take away that accident. Like we've had a lot of good, a lot of good experiences working with that crew and working, you know, hanging out with Brian and, and doing other things. So, um, that definitely won't, that, that, that won't take away from it. I'll just say that. No, man, that's excellent words of advice, dude. And, uh, Russell, I just want to say thank you for once again, for being on the show, man. Um, yeah. So where can we find you? Yeah. So, um, you can, yeah, if people want to get a hold of me, they can they can kind of the best easiest way is to either send me an email or give me a phone call. Um, shoot me an email to my 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 government email is the best. You know, if you have like questions about hiring or what Yosemite's all about or um, you know just anything other any other things that we talked about here today. Um, yeah, hit me up on my email. It's a uh, Russell R U S S E L L underscore Mitchell. M I T C H E L L 
at nps.gov. Um, I'm also, yeah, I, I don't do a whole lot of social media besides just like posting pictures, but I am on Instagram and you know, y'all are always welcome to hit me up on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram name is aggressively mediocre nine. <laughs> and I love that. If you look at it and you say, Hey, aggressively spelled wrong, it's spelled wrong because I'm mediocre and I don't spell very well. So it's on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, hit me up, hit me up on, uh, like social media. I'm out there. Um, I'm not a huge social media guy, but I do like to post pictures of like fun stuff I see on fires and doing stuff with the family and shit like that. And, uh, but email too, man, like I've always, I'm always uh, connected to my email. So, but, um, yeah, I encourage people to reach out, reach out, ask questions about the program, ask questions about park service, fire in general, um, or whatever. You guys hiring right now? Uh, we, so we're actually, we're actually done. And I say that with like, a with, uh, a little bit of pessimistic because there's always the folks that back out like last minute, but, um, our hiring, our seasonal hiring is done. Um, we are getting ready to fly a detail on the module, a GS 720 day detail. Um, so anybody out there listening, um, if you want to come detail on a badass wildland fire module in Yosemite, that'll be hitting the streets here shortly on USA jobs. So look for that. And then, um, also probably not this summer, but going into the fall, we're going to be flying some jobs, some permanent jobs on our engines. Some assistant captains is how we call them, uh, FEOs, you know, engineers for the forest service folks. And those will be GS sevens. And then also one GS six. So, uh, perm positions in Yosemite are, are coming up and available. So keep an eye out on USA jobs for sure. Hell yeah, man. So, uh, at the end of the show, always give an opportunity for you to give out a shout out to a homie hero mentor, both past, present, take it away, man. Uh, yeah. So I think, um, you know, we talked a lot about mentors and how much I, they're important to me. Um, I actually work directly for my mentor, Kelly Singer. I actually followed his career path. He was the captain on the module. And then I took his position as the captain and he was the BC and I took his position as the BC. And now he's back in Yosemite after being gone for a little bit. But, uh, Kelly Singer, man, that guy's a rock. He's, uh, he's one of the best dudes out there. And, um, he's taught me a lot, both in fire and in life. Um, and, and, uh, Jeff Henson as well. Jeff Henson works over on the Inyo. He's a, a division out of the, uh, Mammoth, uh, office there. And both Ch- Kelly and Jeff were my first two captains on the crew. And those dudes have been huge, huge for me over my career. So um, I tell them this all the time too. Like I wouldn't be where I was, where I am now without having those two dudes in my corner. So yeah, Kelly and Jeff, man, those guys are, those guys are awesome. Hell yeah, man. That's awesome. Well, cool, man. It's uh, interesting to see uh, the fire perspective from a BC's standpoint, man. I think that's, that's dope that you came on the show. That's uh, yeah. that's awesome. It's awesome to get some overhead on here. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate, I appreciate you having me and uh, yeah, sorry to anybody out there. If I, if I rambled on, I, I do that from time to time, but uh, got a lot of things rolling around in my head. So thanks for giving me the opportunity to, to talk about not only our program, but our, my personal experiences and, and uh, lessons learned. And, and like I said, man, just like get out there, get yourself out of your comfort zone and uh, 
you'll be surprised. You'll be really surprised how much cool shit you can actually do. Hell yeah, man. Well, cool. I appreciate you being on the show, dude. And then, uh, yeah, we'll get you back on here again. Yeah, that'd be awesome, man. I'd appreciate that. (laughs) Right on, dude. Take care, everybody. All right. All right. All right, there we go. Ladies and gentlemen, another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast is in the books with Russell Mitchell from Yosemite National Parks. Dude, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, sharing your unique perspective as a battalion chief. Uh, that's that's awesome, man, to hear your story all the way from temp seasonal through 20 years of experience all the way up to battalion chief. That's definitely unique. And also thank you one more time for giving some, uh, some representation to our parkies out there. Definitely appreciate it. We talked about uh, a lot of interesting concepts, uh, some of the hard lessons and the harsh realities of wildland fire, uh, one of which is being uh, that fake it till you make it term and how that's basically a spoonful of bullshit, man. Uh, Any good leader, they're going to let you fail. And there's a lot of lessons to be learned the hard way, but a good leader is not going to let you fail to a detriment. They're not going to let you fail to where you get somebody hurt or to where you lose your job. So keep that in mind, guys. Sometimes you have to learn things the hard way and carry those on and let them really sink in until the next uh, problem or issue or thing that you can apply that to in your fire career. It's pretty cool. Uh, We talked about retention, too. And uh, that whole conversation, man, that's uh, that's a hot topic right now across all agencies is we are losing folks left and right and we are struggling to keep people employed or even just pick up new people. And uh, that's not meant to disparage the government in any way. We love our jobs, but it takes a unique individual to do this job. And now to fix this problem, is it up to me? Hell no. I... I don't have all the answers. It's far too complex. It's far too complex for even Russell to address this. But that's the whole point of that conversation is to bring it up. If we put our heads together, we might be able to fix that. Another thing that we talked about was the park, of course, and how they're hiring in the fall, which is pretty cool. So keep your heads up. And uh, they got that detail opportunity coming up too uh, for the uh, wildfire use module there or the (laughs) wildland fire module as properly as you're supposed to say it. Uh, we also talked about some more harsh realities of fire and, uh, the wildfire lessons learned center. They published an article back in 2016 called the big lie, which is based off of an essay called the big lie. Uh, you guys can find that on the wildland fire lessons learned center website and, uh, definitely take a look at it. If you guys haven't read it yet, definitely take a look. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of stuff in there and, uh, I would recommend reading it and taking that and putting it in the back of your head whenever you step off on an incident, whenever you're going to work, whenever you're stepping off of the buggy or the engine or stepping off a hit off of the skid of a helicopter, because that's the harsh thing is our job is dangerous, man. And one of the biggest lies that we tell ourselves is this is a, a non-hazardous job, that this job is inherently safe when it's not. And unfortunately, uh, shit happens in the field as we've learned from Russell's experience on the Ferguson fire. So keep that in the back of your heads and uh, definitely learn from it. So hope you guys enjoyed the episode and hope everybody's staying safe and uh, yeah, have a good season guys. Peace. <laughs>